Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today, we're going to talk with Brian Burke of ESPN about some of our new run blocking and run defense metrics. But first, we're going to talk with Greg Rosenthal of NFL Network about last night's Chiefs-Texans game. Football is back. And guys, before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind everyone to make sure you're staying up to date with all of your fantasy football news with ESPN's fantasy experts, Matthew Berry. Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. Now that your drafts are done or going to be ending this weekend, you'll get daily strategy, previews, and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. So download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football or the Bill Barnwell Show, this very podcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, as promised. Joining me on the show here on the Bill Barnwell Show to talk about last night's Chiefs-Texans game. A first-time contributor to the show, but someone who has been on the list since day one in terms of possible Bill Barnwell Show guests. Someone I've wanted to have on for a long time. Someone who uh, was a former boss of mine uh, once upon a time. One of the best people writing and talking about football on the internet for a long time now. And now I'm on the NFL Network as well, my friend, Greg Rosenthal. Greg, how are you? I, I, I clearly was on the bottom of the list for a long time. <laughs> it's funny. I really was thinking of you, thinking like, why have we – like I literally thought this week, why, why – before you even reached out, it was like we had a mental telepathy that we should be doing – you know, we, we should have each other on as podcast guests. Because, yes, we've known each other since back in the aughts when you wrote a couple articles for Roto World, and I was a big fan of you at Football Outsiders. Uh, you know, I'm a big, big fan of you now. So uh, let's do it. We have football. We've talked about doing your show for several years now. We just haven't had the, the timing work out. Yeah, that was, that's, that's on me too. And we tend, no. to, we tend to only like have people that we have in person, which mm-hmm. is like a high bar to reach because we're in LA and now um, no, you can't see anyone in person. <laughs> um, but I do think back to the last time we hung out, Bill, which was at the Combine. True. Um, before the the world ended, and I, I gotta say, it was the three of us. It was two of us and and somewhat a friend of ours who works for a team. I've always wanted to say something cool like that at, at a podcast, <laughs> and he, he didn't want to shake hands with us. Yes. And this is about February 25th. He was very on top of the COVID situation. He he was worried it was spreading in Indianapolis, and I gotta admit, I was like, mm, I. This is a little crazy not shaking hands um, on February 25th. And you know what? I just want to take this public opportunity to apologize to him because he was all over that. He was. He really was ahead of the curve. And <laughs> uh, as I've said repeatedly, if I had caught coronavirus in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the Combine, I would not have been willing to forgive myself for years. <laughs> I don't think we hugged, but I, we might have, like, shaken awkwardly shake hands before we, <laughs> we before we went back to our hotels while like the rest of indianapolis started going to bars for the rest of the night. yes that is exactly what i think happened um all right well let's talk about this chief sections game because i it, it it kind of went how i expected but it also didn't and i'm a little confused thinking about the game the next day and i guess i'll start with this i mean obviously if you didn't watch the game the Chiefs won quite comfortably. I know the final score was closer than the actual uh, performance between the two teams. It was 34 to 20 with a, uh, a couple fourth quarter touchdowns from the Texans. 
to make it a little closer than it actually was. The Chiefs kicked a field goal on the 19-yard line uh, on their final drive. So, Greg, let's start with this. Does this win tell you more about the Chiefs being scary or the Texans sort of not being Mm. at that level? No, I think it's more about the Chiefs being scary because I wouldn't have thought that the Texans uh, would have been at that level because I don't know who's going to be um, at that level. If, if there's if there's any teams, it's going to be a small few, and I don't know if they're going to be there early in the season. I mean, Andy Reid kind of always comes out of the gates hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he put up <laughs> he put up over forty in Foxborough at the kickoff game. That was with Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt in Kareem Hunt's first game. Mm-hmm. Um, he put up I think thirty eight and forty in Week One. He always seems to have a few things up his sleeve, and that wasn't necessarily the case last night. It was more that the Chiefs can put up 31 points, 34 points, um, you know, without even needing to do that much. Like, wasn't like I, I think when we look back at this season, that might be one of Patrick Mahomes' quietest games. <laughs> like, it was a C-plus game, and they kind of easily put up 30 on you. And it's just a reminder, it's not a surprise, that um, it's going to take a pretty special defense, I think, to create enough problems to consistently slow them down. And, and it is not a surprise to me that the Texans um, do not have that sort of special defense, especially not in early September. Okay, so a lot of people have said that, and I want to sort of get into that a little further. The idea that the Chiefs scored 34 points last night looked you know, pretty good doing it. It wasn't like the offense was bad. I mean... You know, Patrick a couple Mahomes, of sloppy plays, though. You know, they were just plays. like a not, yeah, not not quite as tight as they always are. But like, you know, if I told you, hey, you know, for any other team, their quarterback posts a passer rating of one hundred twenty three point three. Their running back runs for one hundred thirty eight yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they they score on, uh, you know, seven possessions. I think in this game or six possessions in this game. That's pretty good. I mean, do, do right. You, do you think it's really fair to say that the Chiefs, you know, have a second or third year they didn't show in this game because they didn't hit as many deep passes? Because I feel like this is pretty- Yeah, right. Right. It might have just been style points that, like, we want to be entertained by Mahomes. And there wasn't a ton of deep shots. You know, the Demarcus Robinson drop touchdown was one, which, you know, was the only possession, to your point, that they didn't score in their first five possessions. I mean, they, they scored, yeah, almost every possession the entire game. Um, and that sometimes it's just like decision-making, which is, you know, which is amazing when you think of how flashy Mahomes and Reed's play calling can be that it's like, like the handoff to Edwards Alaire, which is ultimately an option play where, where he scores the long touch and that's Mahomes decision. And there's not too much flashy about it. He just, you know, there's five guys in the box. He could have gone a few different places on that play and probably had success doing that, but he makes the decision in year four to just hand it off to Alaire and he runs for 27 yards. And it's like, you're just choosing different ways. You want to die against this team. Well, that's my question. It's like, you know, (laughs) as you think about what you might do on defense to try and stop this team, if we were going to craft a formula and you didn't have, you know, uh, a Pro Bowl caliber defense with, with guy, great guys in every position, I think you might say, hey, let's try and take away the deep shots. Let's, let's try and yep. get the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, and let's have Clyde Edwards-Alaire beat us. Let's have him take the ball 25 times. That's what he did in this game. And the Texans did that, and they still got stomped. Like, I don't know, what, <laughs> what, what is the alternative? Like, like if you were going to write down a formula for how to at least try and stop this team on paper, what is it? 
Well, I think you you answered your own question when you said if you don't have Pro Bowl talent everywhere. I mean, I mean, you're probably not gonna. There is probably no answer the way the rules are set up. Um, unless you you're not gonna scheme your way to some crazy victory. I mean, I think it's what Weaver, Anthony Weaver, their coordinator, tried to do early, which is you just keep changing up look after look after look. But you have you kind of have to have talent to do that. You have to win individual matchups. Um, to consistently do that, to keep going back and forth from man and zone, to show different pressures, to get Mahomes thinking at least. And Texans aren't it. I mean, the secondary is kind of the same as they were a year ago. They didn't accept Gary and Conley's hurt. And they have got Mar- They gave Whitney Merciless a ton of money. So I was kind of watching him last night. He didn't have a single pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got two linebackers who are good in run defense. I guess they you know, didn't do their best job last night, but aren't really good in coverage. So it's like I just – I just think it's going to take like a top seven, eight personnel type team to even have a chance to slow them down. And you got to be aggressive on offense. I mean, that's, that's the thing is you got to put up 30 and you got to be going for it on fourth down. And the Texans weren't really doing that either. Okay. I know I'm Mr. Like, Oh, you got to go forward on fourth down more. I, <laughs> I, like, I want, I, I feel like I've criticized Bill O'Brien a lot this off season. I want to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Going for it or punting on fourth and four from midfield, 100%. You have to go for it in the situation. That's field it. Position. That's the only one I'm talking about. Right. Field position means nothing against the Chiefs. You, you're going to lose 50 yards in, in three plays anyway. But, like, I can't fault them for kicking that 51-yard field goal on fourth and 10. Like, I think that's not unreasonable. No. Absolutely. Totally okay. agree. As long it, as we're it, on the same page. Right. But you just, have, you just have to be better, I guess, offensively. And I'm not shocked they, they're not week one. But I, I think you got to, like, this is a league, Bill, you know, where so many smart teams build back to front, you know, in terms of their secondary, like like Patriots, the Saints in some way, uh, the Dolphins, wh- whoever. And you're going up a t- against a team that's rotating Rashad Fenton, uh, Charvarius Ward, uh, Sneed, who I, I forget his first name, but it's got a hyphen in it, uh, their rookie fourth-round pick. And someone and Antonio Hamilton. Those are their four cornerbacks. So it just feels like like the the best chance to beat them is to go bombs away. And for whatever reason, they weren't able to do that. I any any time someone starts a sentence with "This is a league," I'm excited to hear what happens next. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect preface <laughs> to any job. sentence. That's a bad job. Um, Thank you I for pointing it. out my fault. No, I like I liked it. Yeah. No, it's fault. I like it. Um, I mean, I mean, I think the Chiefs. This formula worked i don't know how sustainable it is this particular way of winning games when they were three for three in their meaningful red zone trips they kicked a field goal at the end of the first half when they got in they kicked a field goal in fourth and one when they were up 87 points in the fourth quarter and they're not going to hit on 100 percent of their drives in the red zone but they weren't really all that good in the red zone during the regular season a year ago they got really good during the postseason that's what kind of drove their comebacks but I think as we think about what might make this offense even scarier in 2020, it's that improvement in the red zone. And then, Greg, I think there's one thing that happened in the Super Bowl that might have ruined the NFL. It might have ruined oh my gosh. the NFL. Because now this is a league where typically teams punt on fourth and one inside their own 40-yard line. And last yeah. year, last in the Super Bowl, Andy Reid uh, – Went to go kick a field goal in fourth and one, not inside his own 40-yard line, but uh, inside the red zone, and called a timeout and changed his mind and went for it, and they scored a touchdown, ended up being pretty meaningful. And I wonder if that freed Andy Reid to just say, screw it, we're going to go for it, 
all the time on fourth and one because they went for it on fourth and one on their own 34-yard line in the first quarter, down 7 nothing. When that happened, I yeah. could picture like Dan Fouts or someone who, you know, was doing uh, <laughs> color commentary in 2003 yelling at me saying he can't do that. That's video game stuff. Nobody cared. They went for it. They got it. They continued to move the ball. And I'm just worried that if Andy Reid says, screw it, I have the best offense in football, we're going to go for it in every fourth and one, they're going to score every time. Right. Uh, you are so right that that play would have seemed so foreign to anyone who loved football 12 years ago. I mean, I, you know, you, you were covering the league already when, when Belichick went for it. You know, the situation's a little different. It, it was with a lead uh, against the Colts back when whatever year that was, which kind of cha- was a sea change. Uh, but now you don't even notice on your own end. You're, everyone is just like, of course. And if Andy Reid is thinking that way, uh, you're absolutely right. I, I, I hope, I, I know you have a producer listening in. I guess you don't do, I don't know if you do ad breaks, but if you did, like the perfect time would have been the moment where you said something happened in the Super Bowl <laughs> last February that changed the NFL forever. Be back after the break. You know, like that was, that was like an unbelievable Mike, uh, Mike Greenberg type piece. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. I don't know if you know this, but Mike Greenberg makes more money than me. That's my goal uh, to catch up. No, I mean, I, I just feel like, like, you know, maybe other teams don't do it. Maybe it's only the Chiefs, but, like, that's the one thing you could kind of hope for was that Andy Reid was going to screw something up with his game management or he was going to punt when you have those moments where, you know, there were no fans in the stadium and it was a home game, but you were a Texans fan watching that game. The moment they lined up to go for it in fourth and one, your heart sank. And if they go for it in every situation where the other team's, you know, fans' heart sinks, I'm really, I really think they're going to score a record number of points this year because they're going to have so many more opportunities than they would have had in years past. Right. And Collinsworth, you know, watching the game was just like, I, I agree with this decision. And they just like moved on. It was not, <laughs> it was not even a, a big deal. I I'm with you too, that, you know, maybe this particular formula is not repeatable, but I do think we should, I, I'm giving these teams, a pretty wide berth here in mm-hmm. the first couple of weeks of the season in which I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be sure. I know exactly what to make of all the results. And, and there's all these guys are so good at what they do that, you know, it still is professional football. It still looks good, but they're, and these two teams are so familiar and they've played mm-hmm. each other a bunch lately and we just saw them in the playoffs. So that all feels familiar, but the fact um, of this off season of playing so little football and you know, preseason and everything else, like, I do think we'll wind up looking back at September and, you know, strange things are going to happen and, and just, I'm not expecting them to be at full, full chiefs peak or Texans peak, or even really know what to take out of these first few weeks. Maybe I'll be proven wrong and it all, it all makes sense, but I, I kind of doubt it. I think that makes sense. And I was going to ask you about the Texans as we sort of transition to that side of, of the coin here in terms of their performance. I mean, we know it's easy to overreact to week one, in a normal season, let alone this sort of strange season, are you? Did, did it? It didn't change your opinion of the Texans at all. That oh, you know what happened in this game. The one thing that changed was I was like, oh, David Johnson looks pretty good. You did. So I think that's a, a plus. And that cut he made on wasn't the touchdown, but a different run was. I don't know. I swear that was the best cut I've seen David Johnson make like since he's been hurt in a mm-hmm. couple of years. So I thought that was uh, a positive. Um, and no, nothing else like. 
totally surprise me, but I, I would be a little concerned about the offensive line because, mm-hmm. you know, I think their offensive line quietly was, was quite good last year, um, pass protecting, certainly average or better, which was a huge improvement, uh, but offensive lines are really unpredictable. And, um, and they, they really struggled last night. You know, Jones and, and Clark, I think, had 11 pressures between them. And it was just a lot of quick pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't just Titus Howard, who definitely wasn't very, very good. It was, it was kind of all over the place. And, like, if, if their line reverted back to 2018 and before Texans levels, then, then they're in some trouble. Yeah, I think Titus Howard particularly – had a rough night there uh, protecting against the various edge rushers the Chiefs put out across from him. Um, they were an eighth, actually, in pass block win rate a year ago. Right. So they were, I mean, you know, Deshaun Watson is going to have a lot of sacks because he extends plays. But in terms of their actual protection, in terms of what they can do, their end of it, they were pretty good last year. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm of two minds about this. And I want to know if w- which side you think is fairer. Because... I'm inclined to throw out week one most most years. I feel like it's not super relevant. I feel like it's, it's you know, we put more of an onus on it because it's the first week. We're all paying attention. We're all trying to be ahead of the curve on what's changed and what happens. And sometimes it's meaningful and sometimes it's not. I mean, the Bengals almost beat the Seahawks in Seattle in week one a year ago, and they were the worst team in football by the end of the year. So, and I also think it's very unfair to judge your team against the best team in football. And I think the Chiefs are the best team in football. And I think that the Texans are going to look better when they have six games against the AFC South. Uh, When they're not playing Patrick Mahomes, they're going to look more like a successful NFL team. I mean, they play the Ravens and the Steelers and the Vikings the next three weeks. It's going to be a rough start. But then, you know, the Jags and Tennessee, Jags, Browns, Lions, Colts, Bears. I mean, like there's not a really tough schedule for them after the first four weeks of the year. But Here's my concern. Bill O'Brien has, I think it's fair to say, spent a lot of draft capital, a lot of money, and really built this team to win now. I mean, if they, you know, they have young talent for sure, but they've given up a ton of draft picks. They are going to be very thin beyond their core of stars in the next couple of years. This is the team they have to beat. I mean, Like Mm. if you don't, if they can't beat the Chiefs, all of this is for naught. Every every draft pick O'Brien traded, every signing O'Brien made is basically irrelevant. So, Mm. as as you play the Chiefs, if I mean this is a team that beat the Chiefs in the regular season a year ago, so we know it's possible. But if you are this far removed and this not competitive with the Chiefs for most of this game, that's a little concerning to me. I, I think that's totally fair. I, you know, I, I think they, they would say, look, there are outcomes um, where a lot of people get contract extensions and we're make, and they're making the playoffs each year. That's, that's meaningful to them. Sure. Uh, but there are also, <laughs> there is also kind of a scenario here where they are a remarkably consistent offense. You know, even before Deshaun Watson, if, if you just throw out his injured year, I mean, Bill O'Brien cooks up an offense that's better passing than you kind of expect it to be. That's better than average. They're a better than average team. They have a, you know, better than 500 record. What's been inconsistent with them is their defense has gone up and down and going into this season, I was not, you know, expecting their defense to be particularly good on paper, but they had a huge room for improvement. Um, And this certainly doesn't make me feel any better about this defense. The offense, I'm actually not 
too worried about because they just I think they have enough players there and they've kind of shown over the years and they have Deshaun Watson that they're going to be like a, a plus offense but what does that get you as you as you pointed out I don't think the AFC South is you know quite as soft as as it's been because I think Tennessee and Indianapolis are, are going to be right there so it's it's a, a familiar feeling I feel like for Texans fans where it's like you're you're hoping to win that division and maybe the hope stops like a little after that. <laughs> there was that, what was the first game last year was bears Packers, right? Right. And Aaron Rodgers going like, we've got a defense. We've got a defense now. <laughs> it's like, nope, you just, you just played Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> that, that was the, that was the game where Trubisky where, um there was criticism of the Packers before the game. Cause they said they were going to put the game on Trubisky and it was like going to be, uh, <laughs> right. you know, bulletin board material. And then after the game, it was like, oh, no, that, that's what happened, and that's okay. That's something you should do if you're playing the Bears, as it turns out. Um, I, I don't know if this is going to be that sort of game where it's like, you know, we look back and we say, okay, we were naive about the Texans before the year, and we saw what happened in week one. But it's not out of the question either. Let me finish with this. I'm going to ask you a question. This is going to be – I feel like someone is going to have this take genuinely – in the next few weeks, if the Chiefs continue to play this way. Is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire actually bad for the Chiefs? Because he he's so good as a runner that he keeps them from throwing the football more frequently. Uh, no. 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 I, I'm not going to buy into that take, are you? No, I'm not going to, but I feel like someone is going to put that out there in the near future. Yeah. I mean, he... He he might even get like a little too much love, you know, in the end, because I think you could have put um, a decent amount of running backs that have been drafted over the last few years. And he obviously is a perfect fit for, for what they do. But it's like if Kareem Hunt hadn't um, done the things, you know, he did to get, you know, kicked off the Chiefs, he would be doing that right now for them. And he was doing that uh, as a rookie. I think he led the league in rushing as a rookie. So it's not it's not surprising to me that Allaire is going to do that. And um it's almost going to make, it's just going to make him, them that much more difficult uh, to like consider how you even stop them. I, I don't know. This Chiefs team, like I am into like appreciating greatness. So I'm just along for the ride. Like I am kind of a fan of just like watching them each week in a way that my, our friend, uh, Chris Wesseling, uh, you know, eventually got to the point. He just liked the Patriots because he liked excellence. That's where I'm at with the Chiefs. There's no point in like going against them right now. Just, just like go along for the ride. The excellence appreciator. Greg Rosenthal joined us here on the Bill Barnwell Show. Greg, if people want to appreciate your excellence, mm. where can they do that? Um, you can check out the Around the NFL podcast. That's what I'm looking at. And, and having an, I have an, we have an announcement coming for another podcast they do uh, called the Jesselnick and Rosenthal Vanity mm. Project. So mm. keep an eye out on that. Teasing teasing an update to a much beloved podcast very interesting greg um it has been a pleasure greg we will have you back on uh certainly in the next five years i will have i would love to have you back on later on <laughs> later on during the season to talk about more stuff but it's been a delight and we should have i should have made this happen a lot earlier it was an honor you know i you know i think you're the you're the best in the game and uh i like fit you know you fitting me in here after you're doing sports center after the game last night billy b's big time love it regular regular tv appearer greg rosenthal thank you so much 
All right. Thanks so much to Greg Rosenthal. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. And now, on to the second part of the show with Brian Burke. All right, joining me now, as promised, someone who's been on the show every year, usually with a new stat and... Today is no exception. Just before the season, ESPN has launched two new stats, run block win rate and run stop win rate. A, I guess a sister statistic to pass block win rate and uh, pass rush win rate. But joining me to talk about that is the creator uh, of the metric. Very smart guy who works for us at ESPN. It's Brian Burke. Brian, how are you? Good, Bill. Doing well. Yeah, I am excited about this because I, I know obviously – uh, we had our, our, our pass offensive line, defensive line metrics last year. And so got to see a lot of cool stuff from that really challenged a lot of our perceptions about sacks and, and pressures and who was actually, uh, you know, sort of impacting uh, passing plays on a play-by-play -play basis and who was defending them on a play-by-play -play basis. So now getting to the run side of things, uh, just for taking a step backwards for people who are not familiar with the uh, with pass rush win rate or, or, or pass block win rate, on the whole, how are these stats all created? Well, it, it starts with the player tracking data. So we use the, uh, the NGS player tracking data, and we, we analyze that for each play. We look at each player on each play. And for, for pass rush and pass block, it's, it's pretty simple to explain. If you are closer to the quarterback than the guy blocking you, basically, we say you've won that block. And you, it, uh, time is a crucial element. So if you're able to do that, Within 2.5 seconds from the snap, we call that a pass rush win. Mm -hmm. If you're the blocker who allows a defender to get a pass uh, rush win, then you get a loss for that play. So it's, it's very simple to explain. Um, and then it's just a simple average of, of those plays. Um, it, we, we released that two years ago, actually. And it, it, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it's very, it's, it's been very effective. It's very well received throughout the league and elsewhere. And it took us, it took us this long to do run block and, and run stop win rates because the running game is so complicated. Um, <clears throat> but we worked really hard on it this year. Um, it, it's much more complicated the way it works. I can't explain it the same way, but basically you get a win as a defender if you control your gap, if you uh, create a disruption in the backfield, if you force a contain right on the edge, um, or if you make it, or, or if you're accredited with a tackle within three yards. And mm -hmm. so Otherwise, it works the same way. So, um, but it's really, really complicated math to kind of get to that point. I can't really explain that on a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, so many moving parts when it comes to the run game and so many factors that we don't look at really on a play-by-play -play basis, even as fans. You know, I, I think that really so much of what we learn about the running game comes from the All-22 tape and comes from, uh, you know, having to study and, and study things in a different way. So in terms of, you know, breaking down running plays on a snap-by-snap -snap basis, 
Is there something you would say you learned in, in the process of building this metric that, you know, you weren't aware of that you wish you'd known a year ago or two years ago or three years ago? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I've probably watched a thousand um, run plays <laughs> in the course of this project. No joke. Um, on all 22 and then watching the dots, as we say, watching the, the sure. player tracking animation. Um, <clears throat> the thing that, that really struck me about the, the running game in the pros is how fast it happens. It is mm -hmm. lightning speed. And these blocks aren't like what I remember from my high school days where we're kind of doing like drills on the blocking sled and you're kind of just drive blocking somebody and he's pushing back at you. And there's this long kind of tug of war kind of battle for three or four seconds. It's nothing like that. It's just, it's, it's more like hits really just like quick collisions mm -hmm. and it happens so quickly. The key, the key really I found is, is controlling the inside uh, defenders, the inside interior linemen. Mm -hmm. You control those, you, you, you're probably going to win the play. And most of those blocks are combo blocks. So they're kind of this hybrid double team, single team type thing where you get, you'll get two linemen on one, they'll hit real quick. The one with better leverage will kind of sustain that block. And then the other one will go to the second level. And so most, most run plays run that way. And if you're successful doing that, you're going to have a successful run. Mm -hmm. But really, everything has to work perfectly for you to have a success. Like if you're going to have a five-yard gain, you, everything has to work perfectly. And most big gains come from sort of accidents. Sort mm -hmm. of one lineman kind of falls to the ground, say it's an outside zone play. If somebody just kind of log rolls and uh, <clears throat> there, there's a giant 10-yard gap opens up in the line and running back and can scream through it. So. It's, it's, it's super chaotic. I'll just, that's the one thing that struck me the most. Mm. Um, you mentioned double teams. I think that's an interesting question. So obviously on some running plays, you have uh, a defensive lineman who's trying to control, you know, two gaps. So he might get double teamed. Uh, you know, there are linemen who are the best players in football who might get double teamed in run plays. There's run concepts, uh, you know, like, like duo and, and, and the zone running concepts where you are getting double teams here and there. Um, in terms of, how the metrics deal with double teams from both sides, from the offensive line perspective and from the defensive line perspective. How, how does the, the impact of a double team impact your chances of succeeding, uh, how, how it's measured within the statistic? It, it's, it's pretty surprising. It's not, it's not that a double team dramatically increases the chance of success, you know, success of the, the offensive players or the defensive players. It's, it, it's really complicated. One of the things we plan to do is create sort of an adjusted metric, right? That accounts for, let's say, who who's blocking you? Somebody, are you being blocked? That's David Bakhtiari or, you know, or the uh, replacement level right. tackle, or are you being double teamed? Um, was it, was it a full double team? Was it a combo block? Uh, that sort of thing. So that may be the next step. We wanted to kind of start off simple, though, and, and, and not kind of overwhelm folks with, with all kinds of complicated regressions and things. Um, but for now, what we're just going to do is just we're going to report the number. We're going to say, here's the run stop win rate for this player, mm -hmm. and then here's how often he was double teamed. And then you can kind of infer, um, you can make the adjustment on, on your own. So that's what we prefer now. Just expose all these numbers and let people make their own inferences. The one of the next things we're going to do is, is analyze the entire play and be able to classify the play and basically name it. Hey, this, the, this is a, you know, power right guard pulled uh, to the B gap uh, with a fullback lead or something like that. And we'll 
we'll classify all those things. We'll know, hey, this was a certain type of block. This was a reach block. This was a, uh, a wham. Uh, this is, um, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we'll be able to classify all those things. We'll know outside zone, inside zone. <laughs> Duo might be, you know, telling that apart from inside zone might be a little bit tough. Uh, I've got a plan for that, though, but, um, but we'll see. It should be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, even when we, it's a classic meme on the internet, if you're not get, if you're not aware of what Brian is joking at, there's a, a a constant discussion about whether a play is inside zone or do the blocking is very similar. Some of the double teams uh, are pointing in a different direction. Um, there, there's a, a couple of subtle ways to check it out, but hard to really gauge, you know, for the purposes of an automated analysis like this. But uh, in terms of the big picture, how how do you think we know that these two new run stats are working. How do we know that they're telling us a meaningful piece of information about uh, typical run plays? Uh, yeah, thank you for that question. <laughs> I, I'm really, ha I'm really excited about these stats because I know they're working really well. They're, they're really telling us meaningful things about the running game and about effectiveness of the running game mm -hmm. in particular. So what we looked at, we said, Hey, when there's, when there are no run stop wins on a play, what's the average gain? When there's one run stop win on a play, what's the average gain? When there's two, and so on, and it's it's um, just it, it, it's perfectly decreasing. So let's say you have a perfectly run offensive run play. Mm -hmm. There's no run stop wins on the play. They you're going to average over seven yards. Um, if you have one run stop win, it's about five yards. If it's two run stop wins on a play. It's, it's like two and a half yards and so on all the way up to like eight run stop wins. It's like, it's like a loss. It's going to be a loss on average. So it works that way with, with yardage gain. It works that way with expected points added as well, which is a more advanced kind of way to look at it that accounts for down and distance and, and field position. Yeah. So that's telling us, Hey, we're really capturing something meaningful. If, if, if you're trying to gain yards, then we're, what we, what our stat is doing is, is um, you know, if that's the point, gaining yards then we're our stats working mm -hmm. makes sense um how much does the identity of the running back or i guess in the case of someone like lamar jackson the quarterback impact uh run block success rate yeah well one thing our colleagues uh seth walter did was he, he plot um kind of run team level run block win rate against their you know let's say running EPA or average yards per carry. And you could see kind of teams with, um, with a well-known, established, good reputation running backs, they came up above the, the trend line. And mm -hmm. the teams that are really hurting at running back, they fell below the, the trend line. So we think this is a really helpful way to kind of look at uh, running back performance. Are you overperforming your blockers or are you underperforming your blockers? Mm -hmm. um, with the Ravens in particular, so the Ravens were kind of a problem because their blockers all came up in the top 10. Yes. In fact, their two guards were number one and number two wow. in, in block rate for 2019. And so we knew that, that um, we, we, what the stat really wants to do is isolate just the player's performance, the player's execution, independent of everything else around him, independent of scheme, independent of who the runner is and everything. That's the idea. That's the ideal. But it just couldn't really, we just couldn't get it to the point where it's, it's perfectly like that. Mm -hmm. um, so the Ravens, the, their option scheme and all the things they do, uh, not, it's not just Lamar's threat, but all the motion they do and the option scheme, it mm -hmm. makes the blocks much easier for, for, for their linemen to execute. 
so they are executing well. It's just that we can't kind of parse that apart from the scheme. We can't say, well, it's it's 10% scheme, and you know, Ronnie Stanley, he's number five in run block win rate, but 10% or 20% of that is from scheme. We just mm-hmm. we just can't tell exactly that. But fortunately, the Ravens in 2018 they kind of ran an experiment for us. So <laughs> they had the same players with Joe Flacco for half the season, and then the same players with Lamar Jackson for half the season, and they still did really really well in run block win rate when it was just Flacco out there. So we're, we're still, still really confident in, in, in the stat. You know, I was wondering why they ran out Joe Flacco for half a season before turning to Lamar Jackson. <laughs> and it turns out they, they were just running uh, a controlled experiment for us at ESPN. They're very thoughtful of the Ravens, very analytics friendly. I didn't realize they were this analytics friendly. Um, yeah. Another interesting question I feel like for you in terms of, you mentioned the Ravens line ranking highly. In terms of this sort of uh, stat, obviously we have a limited amount of data on it so far, but in terms of offensive lines, do you typically see that lines kind of clump together? So you'll have teams who are, you know, who are effective running the football by this metric, all their linemen are kind of together towards the top. And then, you know, maybe for a team that's the opposite, they're all at the bottom. Or do we see a lot of variance from position to position, uh, you know, across an individual offensive line? Yeah, no, that's a great way to, examine that and to be honest i haven't done that yet but i can tell you just from looking and just being familiar with it the, the ravens are that way the other team that is kind of clustered that way are the packers mm-hmm. um but they have good but they do have very well regarded linemen too yeah. so I, I don't think i'm not sure that that alone would say there's there's some kind of problem but um that's a great way to look at it yeah yeah i mean like, like i looked last year at the um the pass blocking win rate stats and the dolphins are bad. They, you know, three of the worst linemen in the league are the Dolphins. And yes, part of that's going to be, um, you know, the, the team and, you know, maybe the situations they were in, but also part of it is just that the Dolphins had a bad offensive line last year and spent a lot of money and a lot of draft picks this offseason to fix that offensive line. So I think it's tough to maybe sort of parse yeah. that out. I think it's an interesting kind of question to look at because, you know, we have seen situations in the past where linemen have left a certain team and have not been all that effective elsewhere. But then you think about someone like Ryan Jensen, who was the center with Baltimore, you know, uh, kind of yeah. only really had a year at that position, got a big contract from the Bucks, and by all accounts has been pretty good even after leaving Baltimore in Tampa. So I think there's a, you know, a lot to really understand about that that I don't think we've understood even, you know, on the film side, even let alone um, on the analytics side as well. Yeah, so what, one one test we did was we look at how well does each metric correlate from year to year. So how much how much of this travels along with the player? So is this just randomness, or is this something you know that are we detecting meaningful skill within a player? Um, and so the the correlations from year to year were really really high, about as high as any statistic in sports anywhere. So you know you name it, on base average or strikeout rate from baseball. These are these are well known, very stable, very reliable metrics. Um, and, and are these do the same way? It would be really interesting. We don't have enough data yet, but take guys like Jensen who switch teams and then just measure the correlations on those guys. We don't have enough examples of, of them yet or enough examples of players like that who have enough snaps in okay. both seasons, uh, but that would be a great way to kind of take a look at things. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, controlling a gap, obviously, that can mean different things depending on what a player is asked to do. And an example I wanted to ask you about is this. So, I mean, there are times where if you watch uh, an NFL game and watch a run defense, there'll be a player, uh, a defensive lineman, who purposefully at the snap drops to a knee. 
And the goal is to not get pushed backwards, to kind of maintain your place at the line of scrimmage and control uh, that gap and not allow a double team to push you off the line of scrimmage. Would that be considered a victory by this statistic if you were able to sort of control your spot there at the line of scrimmage? If you just kind of hold your ground and you you get um, you're not a threat to the runner, no, you would not get you would not get a win in this system. Um, but one thing that that did come to mind. So one thing we were looking at is um, just pure depth of, of penetration for interior kind of for the first level defenders in particular, edge defenders, interior linemen. And we looked at there was one player, Tillery, I think he was from the yeah. Chargers. Yep, Jerry Tillery. Yeah, and he was he was coming up kind of fairly high in the metric, but was kind of reputationally known to be a very poor run defender. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, what's going on here? And so part of part of the system, it does in, kind of factor in how far off the line you get pushed back. So his problem was he was pushed back off the line, but he was quick enough to kind of fall and kind of get, get maybe partial credit for a tackle. And mm-hmm. that was what was happening. But he was a huge liability because he's getting pushed back into the second level. So mm-hmm. it's the worst thing you can possibly do. So in a way, you're not <clears> – <throat> It does factor that in, but not directly. It factors it in by the, by saying if you get pushed back off the line and you're an interior lineman, you, there's no way you can get a win. If Makes you get sense. the tackle or you do anything else, you've 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 created a problem for your linebackers. You can't scrape scrape to the runner. So mm-hmm. makes um, total sense. It, so kind of yes and no, but yeah, um, yeah. I just have this guy Tillery in my I watched a hundred of his snaps and um, yeah he just kept getting pushed back so one of the things we do have is just a, a very very simple metric we just called it pushback and so it's basically an average of how far you either penetrate or get pushed back off the line as, as an interior lineman we can do the same thing for uh, blockers as well mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah that makes total sense in terms of looking at run defenders on the whole is, is there a certain type of run defender who you think the model overestimates or underestimates uh, relative to their kind of reputation? Uh, and, and this is in terms, not, not in terms of individual players, but more in terms of like an archetype of a player who uh, you yeah. found did not get the, the metrics or, or, or the statistical sort of, uh, you know, excellence that the reputation uh, of him might have suggested. I, I don't know. I think the guys that came up to the top, um, consistently are the New England defenders. So New England runs a, a two-gap scheme pretty much exclusively, uh, at least against a run in, on running downs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their big guys, Shelton and, and Guy, come up really well. Uh, and they're just big, uh, not super fast, but just very, very big uh, defensive linemen. And they'll one of the reasons we had that kind of tackle win um, component to the to the system was. They, they could get blocked, but they could still kind of – they're so strong, they'd reach, it, they'd reach their arm out and be able to pull, pull the runner down uh, just on their own. So if I had to guess one way or another, I think it's pretty fair between kind of one-gap and, and two-gap schemes. But if I had to guess, it's probably slightly favoring really, really big two-gap defenders like those guys. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So one player who came up in conversation as we uh, introduced this stat earlier this week was Aaron Donald. And yep. We had said, or not we said, but the metric had said Aaron Donald was a average, I believe, run defender by run stop win rate. And that did not go over well. So in terms of, in terms of, no, it did not. So let's, let's talk about just the, the findings of the metric and why it would suggest that Aaron Donald 
was not a spectacular run defender. What, what, what comes to mind in terms of what you see from the numbers? Yeah, no, first of all, I, I will, um, I'm not going to die on this hill. I, <laughs> if people come at me, they will die on this hill, <laughs> and I will still be on this hill. He is not super effective against the run. Um, now, he, he, he comes up in, in our numbers as, for an interior lineman, as strictly average. But that's average for um, qualifying, basically starting interior lineman in the NFL, which is awesome. He's also, by a mile, the number one pass rushing uh, pass rusher, mm-hmm. I think, of any position, uh, including edge defenders, uh, throughout the league and has been in our system for years. So he is off the charts great defensive lineman and probably one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in the league, because of his pass rushing ability. Mm-hmm. He basically pass rushes on every play, though, and mm-hmm. mo- mostly game charters. They're looking at what, he, what he's doing, and he's a one-gap defender. He's a three-technique tackle. He's small and fast, and he, he, incredibly fast. And what he does is almost on every down is he shoots his gap. So he's generally responsible for – the B gap, which is between the tackle and guard. And he just shoots right through there so fast. He's so, so much faster than anyone else off the ball. It's, it's amazing. And so what he's doing is he's kind of shooting through that gap and shooting up field. And in that penetration metric we were talking about before, he, he's off the charts number one, I, I believe, if not very, very close mm-hmm. to number one for interior linemen. Anyway, he takes himself out of the play in most circumstances, and he creates a giant A-gap. So the gap, basically, he's removing himself from the play. So just imagine deleting the three-technique tackle and uh, a guard from from the play. And you just basically have this enormous gap that running backs can exploit. Um, so we looked at a lot of different things. We looked at um, our team's running away from him. Is that why he's got a, a low number? No, they don't. They don't run away from him. In fact, they run at him quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at uh, we looked at a bunch of other things. Like, is he double teamed more often than another other interior lineman? No, he's not. Um, just very slightly above average in that category. Mm-hmm. And the most amazing thing about him is he is near dead last in what I'll call like tackle rate. Mm-hmm. He gets no tackle run tackles almost none. He is like 139th out of 150 or something like that. Um, in terms of he, he only get as an interior lineman, you should get a, a tackle basically on about 15% of your snaps. He's somewhere under 9%, uh, which is for, yeah, it's amazing. So what he's doing is basically pass rushing on every play. And in fact, he'll, he won't, he's guessing play action, even on first and 10 on rundowns, things like that. He's going straight for the quarterback. Now, occasionally, if the play is coming his direction, let's say it's like an outside stretch zone type play, he'll be there, and he'll be in the backfield, and he'll be right in the running back's face when that happens. Mm-hmm. But unless it's mm-hmm. just the right circumstances like that, he, he just takes himself out of the play. Now, I think that's smart overall because it makes him so effective against the pass, and I'll mm-hmm. be the first person to, to explain why passing is so much more important than running. But – but it comes at a cost, and that cost is he's just kind of over-pursuing. Um, next time you watch him in a game, watch how many times after a run you see a number 99 just kind of walking in the backfield. He, mm-hmm. He's like behind the quarterback and just kind of walking back towards the towards uh, where the huddle's going to be. It's almost every play. Mm-hmm. Now, let me play devil's advocate here. Then I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. In terms of 
you know, obviously he's a great player. I, and, and he said that we're not taking anything away from him as a, a, a pass rusher here. This is strictly in terms of his run performance. Um, you know, you hear a couple of things. You hear, oh, he's the guy we have to game plan for in every snap. And certainly you alluded to some of the things that, you know, he's not getting double teamed in every snap. He's not making a high percentage of run tackles. But in a scenario where, let's say, Aaron Donald does penetrate into the backfield and the run's not to his side or the run is maybe around him, but he does impact the path of the running back, whether he has to add extra steps to, you know, his hole, whether he has to change the hole he's trying to hit, whether he mm-hmm. changes his timing in terms of turning up fields. Is run stop win rate likely to include that as a success for Aaron Donald? Yes, yeah, definitely. It, one of the components, one of the ways you win is what we call the disruption win. So even, and even if he's still being blocked, like even if he, even if let's say there's a guard blocking him, even if that guard is squarely between him and the runner, if he, if he is in the backfield and is close enough to the runner, even though he's still kind of effectively, you know, let's say being blocked, but he just alters the path of the running back, that's a disruption win. In fact, what he's, what he's sometimes doing is um, making the guard be the impediment. Make the blocker is the problem for the runner, not necessarily Aaron Donald. So that, that's, that's not uncommon. That's his game. If, if things set up perfectly, if, they, if, the, if the, the, the run is basically kind of heading that way, mm-hmm. he'll get a tackle for a loss. And even when he doesn't get the tackle, he, someone else will. He'll, he'll create a tackle for a loss, which is – one of the things we plan to do with this metric is kind of we have a sacks created metric where you get credit for the sack because you created the disruption that allowed the sack, even though you don't actually make the sack itself. We're going to do the same thing with, with stuff. Makes sense. Um, in terms of the other players on his team, I mean, obviously this is a Rams team that, you know, Aaron Donald's the best player on the defense. They have some talented players elsewhere, but, you know, they have some, some holes in their roster as well. If we do see a snap where Aaron Donald does disrupt the play or does impact the play, but the play goes for 35 yards because there's no linebackers behind him or whatnot, would Aaron Donald get, a, get credited for a success on that play? Um, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. Could you repeat? Sure, sure. So, like, let's say – Aaron Donald disrupts, uh, you know, an outside zone stretch play and uh-huh. he disrupts it, but you know, the, the linebackers behind him flowed, uh, you know, over, overflowed and over pursued the outside zone. So there's a big cutback lane behind Aaron Donald. Yeah. And so even though the running back had to make five or six steps in, in the wrong direction to get away because there's a cutback lane, he goes for 30 yards. Would that be considered a success for Aaron Donald and a failure for those linebackers? Oh, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. It would be it would be a success for Donald and be a loss for the for the linebackers for sure. That makes sense. Um, yeah, my I, I think I'm 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 trying to be a peacemaker. I try to find a middle ground. Let me ask you this: in terms of Aaron Donald's successes, I, I went back and looked at Football Outsiders Almanac, which is doing manual tracking of this stuff. And of course, you know it's not an exact science whether it's numbers, whether it's film, unless you are someone who is super qualified. Uh, it is extremely tough to gauge you know, how successful every single player is. But in terms of Aaron Donald's average run tackle, it came just 0.7 yards past the line of scrimmage, which was the fourth best mark in football. And we know, you know, given his style of play, when he does make plays in the running game, they can be pretty spectacular. They can be five or six yards behind the line of scrimmage. Um, And this is a stat, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but in terms of pass rush win rate, in terms of, um, you know, run block win rate, run stop win rate these are binary sets these are yes no did you succeed did you fail so would it be fair to suggest 
that if it was not a binary stat and maybe more of an EPA-based stat or a, you know, something like that where it is something where you're not just measuring whether a guy succeeded or failed, but how valuable it was when he succeeded, would Aaron Donald grade out as a better run defender because his average stop or when he does make a play, it is pretty significant? Yeah, yeah, it would, but not by much. So we, we looked at that um, actually Tuesday after the, the, um, the article came out. We were getting questions. Um, he, when he gets a win versus when other uh, Rams defenders get a win, it, it, it's only about a 0.2 yard difference. Oh, really? So, um, which is healthy. Like over a course of, you know, 20 or 25 runs a game over 16 games, um, and he's getting a, a run stop on 30% of those, but those, those yards add up and that that's meaningful. Um, so uh, who was who the uh, quarterback for the um, Steelers last year? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Mason uh, Rudolph or Duck Hodges. Yes. Mason Rudolph. So, yeah. So the Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald's tackles in the backfield are deeper than anybody else's mm-hmm. statistic is, is uh, about as meaningful as the fact that Mason Rudolph had the deepest touchdown passes last year, which is true. So if you condition on the fact that you've already had this big success, mm-hmm. then if, you know, it, it, it's just, it's not as meaningful. It's especially not meaningful because he gets so, he gets, makes tackles so infrequently. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he, if he is this, a, I mean, I understand it. And the way the whole metric is built is built around the fact that you can, you can affect the running game. You, you can succeed at the running game without getting the tackle. That's, that's the whole premise of the, the, the metric. Mm-hmm. But if you're an elite um, interior lineman that plays every down, you, sh- you shouldn't be so far down the list in, in tackles. So mm-hmm. um, it, even, even if he's kind of creating plays for other, other teammates to make the tackle, it really just defies gravity that he's that low. There's something else going on there. And that something else is that basically he's optimizing against the pass. He's shooting through the gap. He's, he's, which for a play charter, mm-hmm. um, they might go, oh, check. Yes, he, he, he won his gap. He shot through the gap. But if you're four, five, six, seven yards deep um, past the line of scrimmage and through your gap, you're not helping anyone. You're, you're, um, you're just creating a gigantic seven-yard wide A gap. And the linebackers, there's plenty of room for a running back to kind of maneuver in that space and, and run around the linebackers who are responsible for that. So it, overall, I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great strategy. I mean, I think it, it works great, um, but it, it does come at this price. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, if people want to check out more about this metric, both right now and, and during the season, where can they do that, Brian? Uh, well, ESPN.com. And I'm not sure what the URL will be, but I believe we're going to have like leaderboard pages for all of these stats, including the, the past stats and the run stats. Cool. Well, I mean, check that out. And I, oh, do you want to also mention where people can yell at you on social media if you, if they're inclined to do that? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I am prepared with, I, last night I stayed up and uh, made 40 gifts of Aaron Donald <laughs> walking around in the backfield. So come at me on Twitter uh, at B Burke ESPN. I think it is. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, I appreciate you taking out the time to talk about it. I think a really interesting stat, obviously not the be all end all, but I think a step in the right direction in terms of understanding what's happening in the run game and who's actually impacting it. So Brian, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. All right, guys. Thanks so much again to my guest, 
Brian Burke of ESPN, Greg Rosenthal of NFL Network. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the off-season content. Guys, football is here. We made it. I hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys are keeping yourself safe and healthy and all that good stuff. We have football to talk about. Very exciting. Loved watching the game last night. Loved talking about the game last night. I am going to watch the games this weekend. I hope you will do so as well. If you listen to an an hour-long podcast and don't plan on watching the games, uh, I don't know what you're doing, but I am happy you listened anyway. We'll be back next week recapping week one. So thanks so much for listening and more audio on the way.